The relationship between Islam and America has been center stage since the early weeks of the Trump administration, when the president ordered travel bans against refugees from seven majority Muslim countries. But the story of Islam in America has always been complicated. That complex story has been lived out by the members of the Prayer Center of Orland Park in a suburb outside of Chicago. The Orland Park Mosque was built 10 years ago with the idea of creating a model American mosque, one with the power to own and reshape the relationship between Islam and America. Reporter Monique Parsons has been following the story of the mosque for the last decade, from its creation to the current complicated moment. She brings that story in her documentary, An American Mosque. This story begins the night nearly 15 years ago when Muhammad Krad had a dream. In it, a man in white stood at his door holding blueprints. Krad is a doctor, the father of eight children. He'd bought a few acres of land in Orland Park, a suburb 30 miles southwest of Chicago. Orland Park is kind of a regional magnet for the middle class. It's got miles of restaurants and malls and acres of golf courses, parks, and good schools. Krad had plans to build a big house there for his family. But the dream shook him. The man in white. The blueprints. Crod's daughter told me the man asked a question. What are you waiting for? Mohammed Crod is a Muslim. He immigrated from Syria decades ago. He's a devout man. A stubborn man, some say. To him, the mysterious dream was a message. His deepest wish had always been to build a mosque. Maybe the dream was telling him it was time. In the past, Muslim community depend on their leaders to be imported from outside. And, and that caused a lot of problem for them because they don't understand the culture, they don't understand the society. Building a mosque is a special blessing in Islam. It can also be a huge pain in the neck. A few years earlier, Krad had seen protests derail a plan for a new mosque in a different suburb not far from Orland Park. Krad knew he couldn't do it alone. He knew he needed someone with business savvy and local Orland Park connections. He needed a guy like Malik Ali. I would consider myself a good Muslim, but I really wasn't the kind of person that would get involved with building a mosque. Malik Ali grew up on the south side of Chicago, the son of Palestinian immigrants. He's so Chicago, he sometimes calls mosques parishes, the Catholic term for a neighborhood church. He raised his family in Orland Park and built a media empire there with his brother. They make low-budget horror movies and in the early days bought rights to classic films and TV shows. The Beatles' first movies, Help, Hard Day's Night, The Jackie Gleason Estate, we did stuff with the John Wayne Estate. Crod was persuasive, and Ali's brother had just died. He needed something to lift his despair. So the man who once owned the rights to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre agreed to team up with the soft-spoken, studious doctor. And what they imagined was kind of an ideal 21st century American mosque, one with its heart in a 7th century religious revelation and its head in Midwestern suburbia. But some of their neighbors were suspicious. They knew Muslims lived in Orland Park, but some said a Muslim congregation was going too far. At the time, there were about 20 houses of worship in Orland Park, all of them Christian. So at public hearings about whether the mosque should be built on the edge of town, hundreds of people turned out to protest. We need to make comments based on this annexation agreement. This is... Officials moved the final hearing to the Orland Park Civic Center, 
the village hall couldn't fit them all. One of the loudest was a local Baptist minister, Vernon C. Lyons. He had a large congregation in town and lots of support. The Muslim terrorists kill people. Moderate Muslims do not kill people. Moderate Muslims supply the cash to the militant Muslims. Reverend Lyons entered the Quran itself into the public record as evidence that Islam was to be feared. But Krad and Ali had studied zoning laws, hired well-connected lawyers and planners, worked closely with local officials, recruited Muslims who'd grown up in Orland Park for the mosque board. They were wary of accusations that foreign interests controlled American mosques, so they turned to local donors. Not one red cent came from overseas, and we were very, very careful about that. Look, the mosque, for a mosque to succeed, it, you know, it has to be from the community. There's a motion and a second. I'd like to ask the clerk to call the roll. It took months and three contentious Trustee hearings. Aye. Trustee Fett. Aye. But in the end, Aye. the village Trustee board Aye. voted unanimously Aye. to allow the mosque construction Aye. to move forward. It was a huge victory, but there was a price. They'd won a place in the religious landscape, but they'd also seen a side of their neighbors many hadn't encountered before. Hanan Mansour had lived in Orland Park for 30 years. She was in Egypt visiting family during the hearings, but she watched them on DVD when she got home. I saw my neighbor, a close neighbor, that stood up. Their kids played together. They used to chat at the bus stop before school. And I said, oh, finally, I have my neighbor. He's going he's gonna to tell the truth about Muslim." But the guy told the board he opposed the mosque. And I was really, I almost cried. I felt like so insecure. For the first time, really, in a long time, I felt like people can tell you something, but inside their heart they really can have different feelings. On a hot afternoon in August 2005, I met Mohammed Krad on the mosque construction site. He set up two folding chairs on the concrete floor beneath the open steel skeleton of the mosque's dome, and we faced east, toward Mecca, and drank orange juice from paper cups. The mosque took $4 million and over a year to build. It overlooks a two-lane road and a soybean field. Even with all its shopping centers and car dealerships, Orland Park still has a rural feel. The mosque sits on a hilltop. And on a clear day, you can see the skyscrapers in Chicago's Loop, 30 miles northeast. At one point during our interview, a car drove by. I heard men shouting, then a series of bangs. I cut him off. Wait, what was that? Somebody threw something, he said calmly. Maybe firecrackers? He didn't dwell on it. I've been watching Crod's mosque evolve over the past 10 years. And that moment exemplifies what I've seen again and again. This congregation knows some people hate Muslims, think they don't belong. Donald Trump's election seemed to be a reminder of that. But Krad was born in Aleppo, Syria, a place devastated by war. He's not phased by a few guys with firecrackers. He keeps his focus on getting this mosque built and running. Just down the road from a Catholic cemetery and a Costco, the mosque is a scaled-down version of Jerusalem's iconic Dome of the Rock, with blue brick trim and a golden dome. 
It makes a dramatic statement, especially for the many proud Palestinians here. This is who we are. This is where we're from. And finally, it was time for the Prayer Center of Orland Park to open. 2,000 people came on a warm June afternoon in 2006. Guys in orange vests directed cars and buses to the gravel parking lot. Everyone headed toward the dome, men in business suits, kids in shorts, some women in long black cloaks, others in designer sunglasses and bright scarves. Assalamualaikum. Your mom's already here. Yeah. <laughs> Good job. You've got four kids hanging on to you. Inside the main prayer hall, men lined up to face Mecca. Women went to a balcony upstairs. Through the arched windows, you could see the Chicago skyline in the distance. Assalamualaikum, everyone. <laughs> There's a basement with tall windows below the main hall, and that's where more women and the children watch the action upstairs on flat screen TVs. The first call to prayer rang out. Muhammad Krad gave the first sermon and thanked God for the mosque and for the U.S. Constitution. Thanks for the Constitution of the United States. Thanks for the freedom to worship your Lord, your God. And with a nod to his interpretation of a modern American mosque, he picked out the mosque's patriotic color scheme. White walls, red prayer carpets on the women's side, blue on the men's. Later, I stood with him in the parking lot, watching the cars pull away. How do you feel today? Alhamdulillah, I mean, it's like a holiday. It's like a graduation, you know, it's a major uh, milestone for us, uh, for the community. And inshallah, we'll have a, a modeled uh, mosque, inshallah, that's our, that's our objective. God willing, a model mosque. What is a model mosque anyway, particularly in America, particularly at this complicated time in America? Mosques all over the country are trying to figure that out. Mohammed Krad saw a place for a young and tolerant community that focused on study and good citizenship, a place with inspiring programs and a great website, and plenty of parking, a place that engaged with its neighbors and stood up to bigotry. It's had to do that a few times over the years. One time came just after dawn nearly three years ago. It was March 25th, 2014. About 30 people were gathered for prayers at the mosque. A bullet was fired early this morning at the dome of the Orland Park Prayer Center. They heard a loud bang, and small chunks of drywall drifted down from the ceiling. Suleiman Ramadan is the building's caretaker. See that hole over there? Yeah. You see the second one yeah. over there? Yeah, wow. So it came from outside. You went in, you went in. The police called for a fire truck and climbed the ladder to get a look. Orland Park Police Chief Tim McCarthy said at first they thought it was a stray shot from a hunter. We got up there, examined it, put rods in to determine the trajectory where it came from. And figured out it was fired from the northwest, probably by a sniper on top of a neighboring office building. Uh, our investigation would seem to indicate, though we made no arrest, that it was intentional. The shooting shocked the congregation. They called civil rights activists at the Chicago Council on American-Islamic Relations, who demanded the FBI investigate it as a hate crime. They saw a disturbing pattern. FBI statistics showed anti-Muslim crimes ticking up nationwide. In time, the case grew cold. Police don't even know what kind of rifle was used because the bullet is still trapped inside the layers of the copper dome. It turned out it was just too expensive to dig it out. So in the main prayer hall, everyone prays under a dome with bullet holes above their heads. 
The mosque leaders had other worries, too. They'd been searching for an imam, and it wasn't going well. Since the mosque opened, at least a half a dozen religious leaders had come and gone. Some imams left because they didn't like suburban life. Others were sent packing because they couldn't connect with such a diverse congregation, with Arabs from all over the world, Pakistanis, African Americans, converts. Older immigrants wanted a leader who made them feel at home. The younger generation liked the hip imams they saw on YouTube. They spoke of unicorn mosques, places with coffee shops, free Wi-Fi. Mosque board member Badia Ali says the problem was trying to please everyone. For example, when an imam gave a sermon in English... We heard about 40 or 50 people complain, why is it in Arabic? You know, so the biggest challenge was finding someone who understands a community, who understands being an American in this area. In January 2015, they tried again. Well, my name is Kifah Mustafa. Um, I am the uh, new uh, imam and director here at the Prayer Center of Orland Park. He wasn't exactly the perfect guy. The founders had dreamed of an American-born imam, and Mustafa was born in Lebanon. But otherwise, he was the whole package. Two decades in Chicago, fluent in Arabic and English, popular with young and old. They hired him away from his job as an associate imam at the big mosque in nearby Bridgeview, and it felt like a huge coup. But neither Mustafa's spiritual leadership or practical skills make him immune from the kind of suspicion that often shadows prominent Muslim leaders in America, no matter how mainstream their message. There's a website out there accusing Mustafa of having ties to extremists. It was created by Stephen Emerson. He's a writer and self-described terrorism expert, best known for a film called Jihad in America. There was a systematic plan to establish an Islamist beachhead in the United States with the eventual goal of watching the United States crumble from within and establishing Islamic rule in this country. Years before taking the job as imam in Orland Park, Mustafa worked for a popular Muslim charity that got shut down by the U.S. government. Some of the leaders were convicted of channeling money to Hamas. Mustafa was never charged with a crime. But Emerson's accusations led to Mustafa losing his job as a volunteer chaplain for the Illinois State Police. I met Mustafa in his office at the mosque and asked him about that controversy. Yeah, I personally, I'm not going to allow that to dictate my ability to serve. The Emerson website is still out there, rattling around the Internet like the bullet inside the mosque's dome. It's the first thing that comes up when you Google Mustafa's name. I don't pay attention to it anymore. <laughs> I mean, there's uh, Islam now is, is being bashed. I mean, before it was personal, but now something more precious than myself, which is my faith, is being attacked daily in the media. So this is part of the challenge we have to face. I will let my work speak for myself. People can talk whatever they want. For 10 years, life in this mosque has been steered by the Muslim holy calendar, but also a calendar of outside tragedies. The murders of three Muslim college students in North Carolina. Attacks by Muslims in Orlando and Paris. This congregation worries about extremists luring young people, like the young man from a nearby suburb who pleaded guilty in 2015 for trying to join the Islamic State group. Each story feels personal, hits home. It's 8.15 on a Friday evening in December. Two days earlier, in San Bernardino, California, a Muslim couple used assault weapons to target a holiday party for county workers. Fourteen people died. 
In his sermon aimed at teens that night, Imam Mustafa told them there are good guys and bad guys, and they can come from the same religion, the same city, the same family. The same family that produced Sayyid Farooq, who went and killed 14 innocent people and injured 17 others, and terrorized the community at large in the U.S., his brother is a recipient of medal honors from the army in combating terrorism. Mustafa sat on a chair, close enough to touch the front row of boys sitting cross-legged on the carpet. Most of the girls listened through speakers from below in the basement. TV pundits were saying the shooting sent a message that Islam was at war with the West. This night, Mustafa told the young people the opposite. The mosque was the place they'd learn to be better Americans. He urged them to connect with the youth programs of the mosque and to bring a friend next time. With the realities of the outside world always intruding, the founders of the Orland Park Mosque determined that to build their American mosque, they'd need to build ties with local law enforcement. In Chicago and beyond, these kinds of relationships had been rough in the years after the September 11th attacks. Though some tell me in recent years there's been a thaw. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Kareem Shora. I am a uh, senior policy advisor at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Office. One small reason for the thaw has been a series of roundtables that began in Chicago more than a decade ago and have spread to other cities. The Orland Park Mosque hosted one last year. Kareem Shora of Homeland Security is the MC. He's an American Muslim himself. The FBI's top agent in Chicago is here, too, Michael Anderson. Before the September 11th attacks, Anderson had never set foot in a mosque. Now... Oh, my God. I, more than I could count. I ask if there's anyone at the Orland Park Mosque he's keeping an eye on, and he won't answer the question. Don't read anything into that. The FBI usually doesn't say whether it's investigating you or whether it's not investigating you. But Anderson will say this. I don't believe that mosques are incubators for radicalization. Could it happen? Sure, it could. But the reality is, if you look at, at the current threat, you're, you're seeing radicalization that's being done online and they're working outside of the mosques or outside of cultural centers because they realize it's not a safe haven for them. Board member Badia Ali says mosque leaders have reached out to the FBI once or twice over the years when they've heard rhetoric that sounded off. He says he wishes the FBI would follow up. He says they never seem to close the loop. One minute, guys. One minute, inshallah. More than 100 teens are in the mosque basement for a weekly program called Friday Night Live. Studies show young people are losing interest in religion, and mosques, just like churches and synagogues, are competing for time and attention. Leaders here knew it was important to get the youth program right. Old-timers wanted to keep it serious. They griped when the kids played dodgeball in the mosque. But the younger guys said, you have to make it fun or nobody will come. They won the argument. Friday Night Live is led by college students and has the vibe of a make-a-church youth group. It's so popular that other mosques have copied it. Parents are asked to stay home so the kids can speak freely. Both genders use the basement for events like this. Boys on the right, girls on the left. When it's time to pray, the girls will stay here, and the boys will go upstairs to the main prayer hall. Hanan Shadari stands at a podium, mic in hand. He's a student at DePaul University and the MC for this evening. He reads a question from the youth group that is surprisingly frank. Okay, this is kind of like deep, okay? So the next question is, no one laugh, we're all mature here, okay? And this person actually wants help, which is really good. How do I stop watching pornography? Mm. 
The kids offer solutions. Call a friend. Don't be alone with your computer. And then they move on and talk about dating. The way to properly do it is when you go to her parents, guys, you go to her parents, and you're like, I'm interested in her. I want to get to know her for potentially marrying her. After the Orlando massacre at the gay nightclub, kids asked about homosexuality. Shadari says they teach that homosexual feelings aren't wrong, but acting on them. God says, you know, that's not acceptable. So if you have those feelings, yes, you know, you might like the, op- like the same gender, but you control that and, you know, you abide by God's rules. I'm told homosexuality is a taboo topic at many mosques, but from what I saw, the teenagers here aren't afraid to bring it up. It felt like they're really wrestling with it, trying to navigate American culture and traditional Islamic teachings about sex, compassion, and justice. Often, pop culture helps get the points across. It's been a long day without you, my friend. Mahi El-Sheikh is 18. She graduated from Sandberg High School last year and is a freshman at the University of Chicago. She sits on the couch in her living room, a black acoustic guitar cradled in her lap. In a way, Mahi represents the founder's dream. She balances Islam with a full life as a suburban American kid. She wears a hijab and doesn't date. She plays snare drum. So definitely, like, band was life, you know? <laughs> yeah. She's basically a band geek. She's got some cover songs up on YouTube where she goes by the name Hijabi Wasabi. A lot of my friends kind of started recognizing me as like, oh, she's like the musician, you know, like a lot of my Muslim friends. A lot of a lot of girls, I feel like they kind of stray away from the idea of getting into theater or getting into, you know, like arts in general. My goal is like, I want to change that. How girls like Mahi balance Islam with American life is a hot topic right now. A national study by the Islamic Society of North America found that less than 15 percent of American mosques are, quote, women friendly. The country's top Muslim legal scholars have demanded more leadership roles and better prayer spaces for women. In the name of God, most gracious, most merciful, I bear witness that there is no uh, God but Allah. A dozen women watch Hanan Mansour write words in Arabic and English on a whiteboard. She's the woman we heard from earlier. She was born in Egypt and has lived in the U.S. for three decades. She and a friend lead a weekly class for women at the mosque. And God is love. One of the name of God is Al-Wadud. Al-Wadud means the one who is very, very close and the one who loves unconditionally. Mansour moves smoothly from Arabic to English, Quran to contemporary brain research, and paints a picture of a faith that is humane and complex. The women's class meets in the mosque basement. The space is comfortable and full of light. But toward the end, Leila Zigar, who helps start the class, frowns as she watches the clock. Are they praying up there? It looks like praying. You can tell I don't have a lot of love in me. (laughs) The audio is controlled from upstairs. A man forgot to turn on the speaker so the women can't hear the call to prayer. Zagar doesn't dwell on it. The women line up, their shoulders touching. One softly says the familiar Arabic words, leading them. Layla Zagar's got a sense of humor. She loves it here. So many women do. And over the years, I've noticed more and more women take on leadership roles. But it wasn't the first time I've seen women at this mosque bristle over the gender divide. Men take over the women's balcony when prayers get crowded. Men use the front door while women typically use a side entrance. Several women find this stuff really annoying. To them, the mosque seems out of sync with the lives they lead. There's no hierarchy in Islam, so board members, imams, men, women, kids, 
They create the community together. Sometimes the tension is between traditional Islam versus modern America, but there are also vigorous debates within Islam itself. The word Sharia, Islamic law, literally means path. But where does the path lead? How wide is it? Whose directions do you follow? Is it okay to play dodgeball in the mosque? Ten years after launching their dream of a model mosque, Malik Ali and Muhammad Krad say by many measures it's more successful than they'd imagined. The congregation has grown. Last year, they added a second Friday prayer service just to fit everybody. Property values near the mosque are among the highest in Orland Park, and they hope to keep building a youth center, maybe a second mosque in Homer Glen nearby. But that drive for a model mosque, that negotiation with tradition and modern American suburbia, that goes on. Muhammad Krad is a patient man. He believes that young people from this community will lead the way, and he's pretty set on giving them the tools to do it. He's got young people on the board, leading educational programs, running community service projects, helping set the direction. A few young men who grew up here are already studying to be imams. I stopped by the mosque one Friday after the presidential election last November. A lot was the same. Krad and Ali were chatting in the office before the prayers, as they always do. The imam gave a sermon on the lessons of Muhammad. Moms gathered around a table in the back of the women's section and bought candy for their children when the prayers were done. But the mood felt different, quieter. While her kids played on the carpet, Manal Saleh told me her mother, who wears a headscarf, was in line at a fast food restaurant after election day and... Someone stuck up the middle finger at her. We lived in Orland Park over 20 years, and it's never happened before. She said Trump's election opened up something. I feel like he's just made it okay for people to express their hate from the things he's said. I'm sure people have always felt that way, but now they feel it's okay to express it. Up in the mosque office, Malik Ali told me a waitress was rude to his family at a local restaurant. Maybe she was just having a bad day, who knows. But it made him wonder. He saw Trump picking cabinet members who've called Islam toxic and a cancer. It was the kind of stuff they heard more than 10 years ago when some of their neighbors tried to stop the mosque. Only that time they'd won. That time they had something to build. But now what? Where do we go now? What do we do? That's Imam Mustafa in his sermon the Friday after Election Day. We cannot ignore the fact that the rhetoric that was during the campaign is kind of scary. He talked about Trump's plans to build a wall, his degrading comments about women. The ban on Muslims coming into the U.S. He also said that all Muslims should be registered. He, he actually called for that. The sermon was part pep talk, part civics lesson. This is the moment that you are going to engage in public life on a very strong level. Know your rights, he told them. Run for local office. Vote. Volunteer. Work for justice. Get to know your neighbors. Be a good Muslim. Be a good citizen. It was basically the stuff he'd been telling them all along. Then he added one more thing that day. Do not be afraid.
An American Mosque was reported by Monique Parsons, edited by Deborah George and Kate Cahan. Production and sound design by Derek John. Funding for this piece came from the Gruber Family Foundation and a Ford Foundation Night Grant for reporting on religion and American public life. You can find photographs and much more at wbez.org.